This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American waterfowl. Hello and welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. My name is Elliot. Thank you for joining me here today. I've got a very special guest. This podcast has been scheduled for um, about a month and a half. So I'm really excited to have on Nate Burden from uh, Falling Tide TV. We had him over on the Duck Gun podcast and really, really interesting guy out of Louisiana. I had the pleasure of meeting him this summer. I went down, Jake and my stepson Elijah and, my, and myself went down to fish with Tyler and Kenny down there um, in Louisiana. And I was posting some pictures on Instagram and Nate saw that and we ended up contacting each other and he came and, and had dinner with us, got to hang out with him a little bit, got to talking and we have scheduled a duck hunt for him to come up here, stay in my house, do a couple days, a couple nights here in Kansas. And so we thought it would be really fun uh, before he comes up on this trip just to have him on here, talk about it, let you guys get to know him a little bit, talk about some of the differences between Kansas and, and Louisiana. So just a really, really interesting guy, uh, really interesting guest. So I'm going to be having him on here in just a little bit. But before we have him on here, don't forget, if you are looking for anything waterfowl, before you make waterfowl purchase, fabrand.com. Go on there, take a look at what they've got. The 10% code is FDH10. Whether it's the decoys, whether it's the blinds, the jackets, the rain gear, they've got there. They've got a great line that's ever expanding. So go and check that out. FABrand.com, FDH10. And as always, if you're looking for a duck call, you want to look at Bobby Hayes' organization, Ducklander Calls. Really fantastic calls by a really pro waterfowl hunter. So check that out. The 
Promo code for that is also 10% off. That's NAW23, and you can get 10% off. And finally, Onyx Hunt. I, I don't know how many times I can urge you guys, if you're if, if that now that you're not using Onyx Hunt, you are missing out on so much productivity. I was on there just today. And actually, I had three things up. I had Sentinel Hub Playground. I had Google Earth and I had Onyx Hunt. And I had all three of those together over the same area and I was using them for different things. Sentinel Hub gives me the freshest, fastest, real-time water data. Google Earth is the clearest satellite imagery that you've got. And then Onyx is where you can pin it, share it to your friends. Now, Onyx does have a recent um, water imagery that you can flick on, which is really, really great. But there's wonderful things about all three of these. I had them up side by side, and I was just going through this new area, trying to check water levels, pinning it on Onyx, sending pins to my friends. You have to get this app, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, you've got to get it. So anyway, I am fresh off of this hunting trip, which the last two episodes, and I I do apologize about the audio. At some point, I need to invest in some new traveling audio equipment because when I do an on-the-road podcast, I've got this mic that's a fantastic mic. I love my mic, but when I put it in a different mode and set it on the table, it just doesn't sound as good. So I do apologize about those audio levels. I do want to reflect on this trip one more time a little bit. Um, When you start planning the trip and you have the anticipation and you've got the planning phase and you're watching the weather and you just really hope that you're spending all this money on Airbnbs and travel that you have a successful enough hunt to make it worth your while. And for me, if I'm shooting a couple birds a day, I'll, I'll be okay. Well, what I don't want, is empty skies. I cannot tolerate empty skies. Waterfowl hunting. If I feel like I have a chance, ultimately when I duck hunt, I want to feel like I have a chance. But we've all been on that duck hunt where we're sitting there and you just feel like you have no chance. You're not seeing birds. They're not flying. And you just don't feel like you have a chance. And I can't I can't tolerate that waterfowl hunting, honestly. As long as I feel like I have a chance. And this trip, everything came together perfectly. The weather lined up with the cold front that came in Wednesday, Thursday, just blasted snow, blasted cold through the Dakotas right before we went. And I can't imagine the weather hitting any better than it did. That's the thing about a traveling trip. Ideally, if you're going to travel, you want to have the location in mind and then you want to watch the weather. And when the weather is right, you want to go. But that's typically not the way the world works for people that have jobs. And you just have to set a date and hope the weather works out. And man, did it ever work out. And that first day up there, we got to the parking lot. There was 35 boats before we put on. Because we got there a little bit late. We didn't didn't know the area that well. And I was thinking, man, I've made a lot of pins on OnX for this location. I've pinned a lot of spots. And with this many trailers and cars at the parking lot, I just assumed that we would see someone around every corner. But we just didn't. We got out there, shot down a little channel, went a little back cut, and we never saw people. We ran into one other group that was set up 
all weekend. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. That first time we were clicking away. We weren't decoying them perfectly. It was a little frustrating because the way we set up, we wanted to be hidden, but we couldn't see the birds coming from the right. And the teal stuff kept coming up the channel. We wouldn't see them until we were in the decoys. But we were clicking away at a pretty good rate. Click, 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 click. And that snow hit, and it just ruined it. That snow dumping ruined that hunt. Now, it was a fun, successful hunt, but I, I think without the snow coming, we probably would have ended up shooting our limit by the end of the day. And that snow just like, you're done. We got out of there, and man, if you watch, I already have that video out. If you watch, you can see us boating out of how much snow we had all over us, and it was a wet, thick snow, and the cameras were getting wet, and, and the snow was all over the decoys. It was rough. We got back. We had to dry everything out, wash all of our clothing out. We had to organize everything in the boat. It was a challenging hunt. And the next day, I thought, wait, you know, there's no snow. It's awesome wind. This next day is going to probably be pretty dang good and man the sun came up and there was almost nothing flying almost nothing and i started to get that feeling in my stomach like man this trip's gonna be a freaking bust here we get the perfect weather everything seems like it should be right and it's gonna suck we were actually talking about like, hey, I, I'm hearing there's birds over here. We might, might make, have to make a four-hour drive to get to it, but we may just have to get out of here. And then a couple flocks bombed right into this one hole. It was about 150 yards from us. <clears throat> the whole Matt and Phil wanted to hunt. <laughs> and I had a different theory, and I didn't tell them what we were going to do, but I persuaded them. And it's like, man, we got to switch because it, we're not seeing anything but when we do see something that's bombing into that hole, we got over there and man, if we didn't have one of the funnest hunts and throughout the day, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, the, the movement in the area just got better and better and better and better. It took us a while to kill all our birds. I mean, it's not like we were just swamped with birds, but it took a while for us to kill our birds. I mean, we didn't finish till like two o'clock, but the decoys were great. The company with Phil and Matt was great. We were shooting them right in the decoys. It was a very satisfying hunt, to say the least. And I've never been on a basically a gadwall hunt like that. 14 out of our 18 birds were gadwalls. I've never, never been on a hunt where you've shot that many gadwalls. <clears throat> we boated around a little bit after that hunt. And we're like, you know, after we scouted around, it's like, hey, let's just go back to that hole. That hole was beautiful. That hole was just a fun hole to hunt. Got in there the next day, flipped the boat around, looked the other direction so we weren't looking into the sun. Same thing. That's the day started. Hardly any ducks anywhere. And it just built and got better and better and better. I actually liked that day better because the decoys we had on the, the last day were more visually appealing. They're actually coming in closer on the inside of the decoy spread versus the outside. And we shot another limit. And again, that was just such a fantastically fun day. Ended up right now, I'm trying to think in my head about all the hunting trips I've been on. Probably the most fun trip I've ever been on. I wish we had been shooting more mallards. But I am not going to complain because it was just. It's a trip I'm going to remember for a long time. The company was great. The dog work was great. It was just fantastic. <clears throat> so. So anyway, um, I just want to kind of go back over my thoughts about that. Coming up, we're probably into a stale cycle, I'm guessing. Now, there's a lot of ducks in the state right now. There's a lot of ducks. 
but by t- by the time right now and the next severe cold front, it's probably going to get pretty stale. Is my guess is it's probably going to get pretty dang stale. When you get these early cold fronts, there's some times where you can go all of November before you get another really blast of cold and, and uh, it can go you know, like 65 degree days, 60 degree days every single day. And we may be entering a massively difficult time to kill ducks. We'll see. We'll see. Right now, everyone I'm talking to is pounding ducks. There's even through the opener, opening weekend for a lot of zones was this last weekend. And uh, a lot of ducks are being killed. Unusual amount of ducks being killed after like you got your opener on Saturday, everyone and their dog is out. Literally, you got the day after Sunday, everyone, a lot of people are out hunting, but normally like that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are not good. And that is not what I'm hearing. People are continuing to smash ducks. Now, the mallards have not shown up yet, but people are smashing green-winged teal. They're smashing gadwall. I saw some redheads being killed. I mean, people are just flat-pounded ducks. So it's unusual the amount of success I'm hearing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday after the opening weekend is very unusual. So maybe this will be a little bit different. Uh, but I can tell you over the next couple of weeks and before Nate gets here, because Nate is coming two weeks from today, he will be at my house and I, uh, I'm i going to have to seriously put in some hard scouting because he's going to be gracious and, and he's going to have fun no matter what. But I do not want someone coming all the way from Louisiana. If we're not going to kill ducks, it's not going to be a lack of effort on my part. I, that That I can promise you. If we don't kill ducks, I'm going to say, hey, before he came up here, I did everything in my power to have as much information and knowledge as I could possibly have. This is a different year up here. We've got way less water. This is the least water we've had since there was a drought. And it was either 2012 or 13. I can't remember the year, what, what year there was a massive drought. This is the, the worst we've been on water since then. And we shot a lot of ducks that year. But on, on drought years, you cannot just go status quo. There are some years that I can just pretty much do okay and shoot some ducks with no scouting, go to my spots, my traditional spots. I've got all this data on freelance hunt stats showing me where I shoot ducks on what weather conditions, and I know where I can shoot them. But drought years are, that's not the case. And it's not the case right now. If I'm going to shoot ducks right now, I'm going to have to work for it. I'm going to have to go look for unusual places. I'm going to have to look for places that I haven't scouted in the off season. So I'm going to have to work a lot harder to bring Nate some success. I've got this weekend. I've got next weekend. I've got Veterans Day off, and that's Saturday. And I can tell you I've got some places in mind. I've got some ideas and strategies in mind that are a little unusual based on some weather conditions in the past couple of weeks, some rain in the past couple of weeks. And I think that I'm just hoping that I can get Nate on, you know, if we go out and we're shooting, you know, six from six ducks to a limit, if we're in that zone and I've worked really hard to put us in that zone, I'm going to be okay with that. I know it's going to be great company because Nate's a really cool guy, really fun to hang out with. And so I'm going to go ahead and bring him on here. Um, and then let you guys get to know him. So here we go. Well, I am joined tonight by Nate Verdon, uh, who I met one time. And in a couple of weeks, he's going to be coming up here and staying at the house. And hopefully I can get him on some birds. We'll see. I've, it's, we're close enough to it that I've been looking at the weather and all that. So it's it's getting pretty close. What's up, Nate? What's going on, Elliot? How are you? 
I'm doing pretty good. We are off to a fantastic start. I'm having a much better year this year than last year. How's how's the start to your season? I know I've watched some of your teal hunting videos. I think you've just teal hunted so far. Yeah, that's the only thing that's been open yet. We don't we don't open up officially for duck season until the 11th. So, yeah. but I mean, look, teal season was pretty solid. I would I would say overall, um, you know, in the beginning of the season it was a little bit weird. We didn't have the water that we usually have, especially mm-hmm. in the western portion of the state. Uh, a lot of the farms out there were dry. Um, you know, usually there's sheet water in there from rain. They had no rain this year. So kind of made teal season a little bit weird. You know, you would, you would have thought that that would have pushed most of the birds, uh, to the southeastern part of the state where we have a lot of, you know, natural bodies of water. But, uh, it's just kind of weird. I would say it was just solid though. You know, we had our days where it was really good. We had our days where it was slow, but I think, uh, overall I was pretty satisfied. Um, do you keep track of your number of hunts and all that stuff? Uh, I keep track of the bird count from the group, typically. Okay, so you don't keep track of your personal bird. Mm, I, I used to do that, and I got it. I got into the point where I'm, for the most part, uh, keeping track of the groups because that's kind of what everybody else does. Everybody always goes with like the the bigger number. It seems like right. Yeah, uh, everybody wants to be able to brag. Oh, I killed fourteen hundred birds this year. You know, <laughs> I and, yeah. Yeah, so exactly. And I always kind of laugh, you know, I had a guy I saw and he's a friend of mine. All right. Now he is at the time. I, I didn't know him, but he made a Facebook post. Uh, someone asked about, you know, why duck hunting sucks in Louisiana. And he, he said something like, man, I've killed 4,000 gadwall in the last three years in the state of Louisiana. And I, I was like, hold on. I did the math. And I was like, I was like, dude, do you mean to tell me that you killed like 11 and a half gray ducks every single hunt and you hunted 60 days of the year <laughs> and uh he was like oh no that's group numbers i said well shoot man i said if y'all are if y'all are doing group numbers i'm doing group numbers and uh yeah so my blue wing count was 71 i just pulled it up on my phone oh 71. wow so, dang so how many times did you go out probably i don't know four times something like that four or five times. okay i was still hooked into your personal count i had no not personal count this was this was groups this was groups yeah. i need to set you up with the count on the app and you can keep both personal mm-hmm. and group it's just easy to i do. will be using the app this year i'm excited to, to to do that you know i'm kind of a i'm a stats guy you know i'm a sports mm-hmm. fan so i kind of like the idea of being able to keep stats and stuff yeah uh, I have i gotten you have i set you up with an account in the past yeah, yeah, yeah. you you did recently oh, okay i couldn't remember this will be the first season I'll get to, uh, you know, use anything like that. So, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. It makes it really easy to keep both and just charts them right there. So, so, how many hunts did you go on for for teal season? I think I think five. I think something like that, four or five. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think I know. I missed a day for sure. Yeah, so I only had guys, weekends. You know. Yeah, talk to me about your teal season. Like, when does it open up? Is it two weekends? Is it three weekends? And where are you typically targeting? Is it public? Is it private? What type of places are you? I know. I think I saw. How many how many teal videos did you put out? I think I put out three, four. I want to say four. I'm trying to think how four. many I saw. I know for a fact I saw at least two. I'm surprised yeah. I didn't watch them all. Anyway, tell me, tell me, talk to me about your teal season a little bit. I love teal hunting. Yeah, I do too. I do too. It's just where you, you, you know, you knock off the rust. Uh, I always love teal season, man, because it's, you know, you've waited since January to be able to, to hunt ducks and it's finally here and you can feel a little bit of a cold yeah. front come through that right. time of year and it really just mm-hmm. sets the tone. Yeah. But yeah, our teal season starts usually the middle of September and uh, we get three weekends and two weeks yeah. to hunt. 
Uh, yeah, a lot of guys were complaining that teal, teal season has been starting a little bit too early mm. over the last you know few years based on the way the calendar fell. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they actually opened it on a Friday for us this year. Mm-hmm. Opened it on a Friday to where we can get, but it, it closed on a on a Saturday, which was weird, you know. So we got the very all the way to the very end of September. And so you normally hunt your Saturdays or your it sounds like you hunted four times, so you hunted twice one of the weekends and and but yeah, typically I, just I, I Saturdays. Think I hunted five. I think I hunted. I think I hunted five times because well, it might have been four because I missed the opener because I fell on a Friday. I had to go to work. I hunted the Saturday, Sunday, and then I hunted the next weekend which was saturday and sunday yeah so i hunted five i hunted five hunts okay yeah and what kind of what kind of uh um habitat are you guys normally hunting mostly marsh i I tried out the the rice fields this year out in southwest louisiana Mm -hmm. Uh, first time i ever did it 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 was so different you know when when you're hunting the marsh you know in southeast louisiana there's always this sense of like they could always show up. They're always mm-hmm. close because there's, there's water everywhere. And with the tide moving, you know, it's ever changing. You know, there was one hunt where we didn't really shoot anything until like nine o'clock in the morning, which is really uncharacteristic for a teal hunting, especially. But with the water, with the water moving, the tide changing, what happens is the water rises or falls, depending on, you know, what the tide is that day. But in this case, it was rising. So it was allowing access to new feed. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, it gets the birds moving because they want to get that first crack at the at the new food. So you always know in the marsh that there's a chance it could turn on. Whereas in the rice fields, you're depending upon birds that are already there mm-hmm. or just flat out migration. Right. You know, so so it was a little bit weird. It was like you were either on them or you weren't in the rice fields. Now the rice hunt wasn't that that was your first weekend, right? Yes, that was. The I weekend. saw that one for sure. There was a group. I think you had four or five guys on that one, if I remember right. Yeah. You would yeah. think that you would think that if you had the only water in the vicinity, you'd have the birds. Mm-hmm. The problem is when you have that little water, the birds just aren't in your area in general. Right. You know, right. There's just not enough. Once you shoot at them in the couple of fields that have water, they're gone. Right. Yeah. And then you're talking about what type of marsh. Like, is it what's the water depth? What's the vegetation like? Well, we typically. What are you looking hunt. for? What's your ideal marsh setting? So it depends on where you are. Um, we, you know, we have a lot of subaquatic vegetations. You know, you have widgeon grass. You know, uh, you have like coontail, hydrilla. Depending on what the birds want to eat, many different things. But I would say that the best habitat in southeast Louisiana is going to be around your duck potatoes mm. that we have. It's like this. Uh, it's like a water lily type of a a plant that mm-hmm. grows, and there's this little duck potato that grows on the the teal. Mm-hmm. And all the ducks they love them. It's a standing vegetation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it so the birds will actually go in there where you can't even see them a lot mm-hmm. of times right um, it's funny because when you're scouting for the for the ducks you know most of the time when you're scouting birds you don't typically you don't typically want to run them up that's that's not the way to go about it so you either kind of have to know where the birds are already going to be or you do actually have to run them up because a lot of times you come into a pond and you don't see any ducks and you're like oh you know i don't know where they are right I don't see any ducks. There must not be any ducks in this pond. But if you ride the perimeter of the pond and you ride in that duck potato, a lot of times those birds will jump out of there. Mm-hmm. They'll let you get right up on them and they'll jump out of it. Yeah. And it, it, it makes it to where it's really hard to scout. You kind of just got to know where they fly through at and, you know, historical, you know, places. But I would say that that's the area that would probably hold the most birds in, in mm-hmm. Southeast Louisiana, which is typically like the, the Venice area, 
you know, I don't know if you know where Venice, Louisiana is. That's no, the very, I don't know. Uh-uh. That's the very southern tip of the Mississippi River where it spills out into the Gulf. Okay, right. You have a lot of area for the birds to refuge. You have a ton of feed down there. Um, you know, a lot of just open uh, sandbars and, and, and shallow water flats mm-hmm. that are that are all over out there. I mean, just picture perfect for, for waterfowl. Um, you know, when we're hunting teal, we're, we're typically looking for shallow water and something for them to eat. So, I mean, that's typically yeah. what we look for. You know, out of most of the guys I know, you're you're about the only one that's like me. It's like you got your weekends. Everyone else that I'm waterfowlers that I'm real close with, not all, a lot of them work, but all of them seem to be able to find a lot more time off than what I've got. And so it makes scouting a little more difficult. How do you go about your, your scouting for teal season? Uh, so this year for teal season, I scouted zero hours. And <laughs> I am not ashamed to admit that because uh-huh. most years, you know, I'm having to really, you know, find the birds. I'm, I'm struggling to find evenings to get off, you know, to be able to go out and scout because I can't scout in the mornings during the week, uh-huh. um, just like you mentioned. But this year, I just had some guys I linked up with, and, you know, they had birds, and we went. I, I was very fortunate. But, you know, a lot of that, it takes kind of it takes a lot of the fun out of it because there is nothing better than finding your own ducks, right? figuring it out, how to set up on them, putting out your own decoy spread and doing it your way, and, and just sitting back and enjoying the fruits of your labor. Yeah. So it took a little bit out of the, of the fun out of it. But honestly, I really didn't have much of a choice. You know, work was so demanding for the month of September. Yeah, that it, uh, you know, it just it kind of got in the way of scouting. But but typically I would say t- for for a typical uh, scout for me would look like getting off of work as early as I can on like a Thursday or a Friday, mm-hmm. uh, getting out there and, and seeing what they're doing in the evenings, which doesn't necessarily apply to the mornings. Right. Uh, and look, to be honest, a lot of times we go in blind, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. times we go in blind and we just say, look, this is a, a generally a good area. Right. Uh, you know, we, we've done good on cold front days. We kind of know that, you know, if, if, if maybe the birds are stagnant, they get stale on us. You know, we'll, we'll know kind of where to go for days like that. Yeah. And then another thing is, is uh, surrounding yourself with a group of guys that are that are actually willing to help. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I've been very fortunate to be surrounded by, you know, guys that do have days off during the week. I have a couple of guys work shift work that are willing to, you know, get out there and do some scouting and mm-hmm. they won't go, they won't go hunt the mother load until the weekend when everybody's off. You know, a lot of times they'll, they'll just watch those birds throughout the week and they'll say, look, mm-hmm. I'm off this weekend. I found some birds. I'm going to keep an eye on them during the week and we'll go get on them on the weekend when we have enough, enough guys to make it worth it. Right. You know, and then you always risk somebody else going to that spot and that we've dealt with that before, but that's a risk you're willing to take, you know? And yeah. you know, I'm just, like I said, just fortunate, fortunate to have guys that are willing to help. So the area that you're in now, go back to your background and like, where did you grow up compared to where you are now? Is this area that you've known all of your life or have you had to move into it and, and learn it? Give me your background with your your whole hunting background, but the area as well. So I I grew up on the, uh, the South shore of Lake Pontchartrain in Southeast Louisiana. um, Was that close to where I met you? That that's fairly close to where. Yeah, I was, you're about right, you about you about forty forty five minutes uh, okay. north. You're about forty five minutes south of where I grew up. That's mm. where you were when I met you. You were down in okay. New Large, Louisiana. Yeah, right, right. And and so I grew up. Uh, I grew up hunting the the Barataria Basin area. 
which is southwest of New Orleans. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, historically, it was a, a major destination for, for all big ducks, you know, mallards, uh, gadwall, pintails, widgeon. I mean, it was just like the, the mecca of waterfowl hunting whenever I was a kid and my, my dad was coming up like in the eighties and the seventies. It was like, I mean, that was where you wanted to be. Um, it's right on the Mississippi river. It's a Mississippi flyway, uh, on the way down to Venice, you know, so it's a little bit further up, up the river from Venice. Uh, it's freshwater marsh. It's uh, a lot of feed, you know, a ton of sub subaquatic vegetation, potholes, uh, open water, lakes. I mean, it's, it's, it's everything that you could, you know, you could want as far as a marsh hunting standpoint. Um, and you know, things kind of changed up a little bit. We don't necessarily get the birds that we used to get down there anymore. Get pretty much. It's mostly divers over there now. Mm-hmm. Um, now I live on the North shore of Lake Pontchartrain. Um, it's, you know, it, whenever I was, I would say I'm 30 now, I was about 18 years old. I, I kind of learned the areas up there. It's pretty similar. I would say it's uh, a little bit shallow water, more brackish marsh. What we mm-hmm. hunt up there, a lot more shallow water, uh, you know, uh, lake mud, these like sand flats, you know, that we hunt a little bit more shallow water. Um, I mean, it, it's just, it's a little bit different, I would say, but it's still marsh hunting. The mm-hmm. birds kind of act the same. Um, we don't get near the amount of mallards that we used to get anymore. It's mostly gadwall, teal, uh, 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 spoonies. We get, you know, some divers mixed in. But, was that a gradual change, the loss of the mallards, or did that happen sharply? Um, it, it, I would say, you know, when it comes to any anytime you're dealing with time, mm-hmm. a, a hundred thousand years could be fast. In the grand scheme of things, you know what I mean? Right. But I would say it happened fast because we're talking about a, I would say 15 year period. Mm-hmm. It went it went from being where you wanted to be to if you were trying to be a mallard purist down here, you might not shoot a duck all year. Do you, do you remember having a time where it finally, like there was a conversation like, you know what, we're just not seeing as many mallards. Well, What's I heard it growing. What, I heard it when I was a kid. I heard it when I was a so kid. So it already been going on before you started hunting. Yeah, like like I'm going hunting with my dad whenever I was a kid, and we're we're putting you know we got three guys we're hunting with. We're putting four mallards on the tailgate of the truck, a couple of widgeon, and a couple of gadwall, and he's like, "Man, it ain't what it used to be." And I'm like, mm-hmm. "Dad, this is awesome." And he's like, "Yes, <laughs> son, but, but you didn't see it in the glory days, you know." And yeah. he's got pictures of you know just mallards just lined up, you know, and. And I, I guess, I guess it was, you know, already starting to change, but you could still find some whenever I was a kid. But once, mm-hmm. by the time I got out on my own, you know, hunting with my friends and, 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 you know, had my own boat and my own decoys, it was, it was gone. Right. You know, by that time. How many mileage did you shoot all last year? Do you know? Uh, we, I think we shot one wild mallard last year wow. out of the group. Now, so. how do you tell the difference between wild and non-wild? Well, there's this one particular place that we hunt on the north shore of Lake Pontchartrain that uh, there's there's some areas where they hold some local mallards and mm-hmm. you just they're know mixed, when you they're, shoot mi- them they're mixed with farm ducks and yeah, and, you know you can tell they don't have rings around their necks they're bigger yeah they, they just look a little bit different you can just uh-huh. tell like when you're holding a hen mallard and it's the size of a speckle belly goose <laughs> you know you're like yeah this is not natural you know but hey if it comes into the decoy spread it, it's gonna get eaten. Right. Yeah. It probably tastes great. 
<laughs> it does, man. Oh man, the one the one we killed last year, the first one. I mean, it had a layer of fat. Like I know nobody <laughs> at home can see this, but it's like I mean, a centimeter thick, probably fat on that thing. And I and I left the skin on it. And I seared the breast, and uh, I just seared it for like a minute on each side after I rendered the fat. Yeah. Oh, it was delicious. <laughs> it was the most mild mallard you could ever imagine. Yeah. So how much does not shooting mallards matter to you? Does how, it, how much has that depreciated your your enjoyment? It hasn't at all. I've That's just good. found new fixes, man. Yeah. So what's your your favorite duck? Do you, do you have a target species or is it just, hey, we're going to shoot a mixed bag and that's how it is? I, I don't typically go out and say, look, we're going to target this, we're going to target that. I mean, usually when we're scouting, if we find a good number of birds, we'll, we'll identify the birds and we'll hunt accordingly. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't really matter what it is to me. I mean, unless it's just a bunch of bluebills or something, and then we'll be like, ah, it's just bluebills. We're probably not going to set up on that. But mm-hmm. if it's bluebills mixed with canvasbacks, if it's, it's you know, some redheads yeah. in there and stuff, we, we may hunt. Um, but, I mean, I would say my favorite duck to hunt these days is probably canvasbacks just because mm-hmm. of the, the, the style in which we hunt them. Yeah. I, I laugh and joke. It's kind of like a spectator sport the way we do it. Yeah. We, uh, we go put a couple of – layout blinds out in the lake and uh you know we take turns you know we just put a couple guys in at a time Mm -hmm. and we sit back and watch the show and that's fun it's rewarding you can only shoot two ducks each but Mm -hmm. it's trophy hunting we you know we try to pick out the the drakes and try to you know sometimes we'll pass on some drakes that we don't think might be pretty enough for us and you Mm -hmm. know so it's it's very much like a gentleman's hunt type thing and pick the birds you want and you and that's it you get your two birds and you go home but I would say if I had it my way and we had, because look, we're starting to lose gadwall too now. I'm sorry. Really? I've seen, I've seen a dip in the gadwall majorly. And, and I wouldn't say so much that the, that the numbers necessarily drop that much. It's just that they're concentrating to different areas now. And a lot of it is, is areas that we don't necessarily have access to. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's private land, you know, stuff like that. And it's tough. They're still out there. You just have to, you have to work really hard, man. You, you have to really grind it out and, and you'd have to have days off during the week really to stay on them. Uh, and it's just to the point where it's, it's kind of not worth it because I'll, I'll go sometimes two weekends before I'll get on a real good shoot of Gadwall, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just not worth it to me. I wish, I wish they still had them in the salt marsh like they used to. Mm-hmm. I would say back in like 2010, 2012, 2014, you know, those years, we used to have a lease that was down there where, where you were at, where I met you mm-hmm. uh, out there. And it was just thick with gadwall, man. It was the, the best. I mean, if you were a, a gadwall purist, you'd be in hog heaven. Yeah. You know? Are there, do those exist? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I do think the gadwall is underappreciated. We, uh, we were up hunting on the Missouri river up North this past weekend. And uh, we had this massive cold front come. I really thought we'd probably be shooting some mallards and, and two of the three days we shot our limit and there was almost all gadwalls. I mean, they were just gadwall shoots. Like we shot 14 out of 18 gadwalls on the second day we were there. And third day, I think it was more like 13 out of 18. But I mean, it was by far the, the most, uh, what we were shooting was gadwall, gadwall shoots and we cooked them. Um, we ate gadwalls two nights, but the, the last night we cooked them just as steak with just salt and pepper. Oh, that's and there wasn't anything gamey tasting on. Now I will say I have 
I don't know if you've seen the video where Jake was, we, I made him do a uh, taste test in the field. We were hunting and they kept calling Gadwall's gut ducks because they taste so disgusting. And I'm like, that's crazy. They, they just, they don't, that's, that's crazy. And, and so in the field, we just made a fire, put them on a stick and we did Mallard and Gadwall and we did a taste test between the two. And all of us could tell the difference between the Gadwall and the Mallard, but they did they did admit that the Gadwall tasted better than they thought it did, but they're sticking. See, I, I, what I think it's, it's your perception is, is 90% of what you taste. Have you ever like, um, gone to drink something like you thought it was one drink and it was a different drink. And like I, one time I put, I thought I was drinking like Dr. Pepper or something. I, I drank milk. And for like the first, like 1000, 1002, my brain couldn't even identify what was in my mouth. Right. Like it wasn't like that's milk because my perception was that it was Dr. Pepper. And I drank milk. And that's what blew my mind is like my brain didn't go, oh, milk. I couldn't right. identify what was in my mouth. And I, I have a suspicion that when you live in an area and the perception becomes Gadwall tastes disgusting, then that that totally taints your perception of it when you ever put it in your mouth to begin with. Because I, right. I just find it hard to believe that when, I'm, when a Gadwall goes from Kansas to Arkansas in two days, all of a sudden they taste disgusting. It doesn't. I, I just don't think that. Now, now, on the other hand, I will say this. I cleaned a widgeon one time that was the nastiest. I threw it in the trash. It was the nastiest smelling bird straight, split it open, and it just smelled disgusting. Probably was eating coop poop. Yeah, probably so. Probably <laughs> so. I, 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 and, you know, I heard recently, like, a lot of guys from Arkansas think blue ink teal tastes bad. I don't agree with that. Seriously, the only, it's delicious. The only thing that, that's been weird for me is, so I don't, I don't know why I don't particularly like wood ducks that much. <laughs> I, now, that may be, look, that may be, uh, that's probably not going to land too well with your audience. Most people are saying. Oh, I think it's okay with my audience. Best. You just don't want to talk about that around the Duck Gun podcast audience. So, uh, yeah, you're right about that. He loves him some wood ducks, man. Y'all go back and forth. Did you hear any of the big battle he and I have been having about wood ducks lately? Yeah, I've I've kind of saw it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he's been going at it for anyway. I don't I don't know what it is about the maybe it's the wood ducks here, the local population of wood ducks here. They're also mixing in with a lot of hooded mergansers here. Uh I don't know if they're kind of eating the same things or what, but I have a hard time. Like if I wanted to skin a wood duck. I can't get the skin to separate from the meat. It's like a diver. Really? I don't know if that's common elsewhere. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. It's, it's It happens to almost every wood duck I shoot around here. And I swear, man, me and my wife were searing some ducks one day. And I said, I had a ring neck and I had a wood duck. Killed them both in the same hunt. Same place. I never frozen. It wasn't like one sat in the freezer longer than the other. This was, I mean, as good of a scientific experiment as you can come up with. And I seared both of them. I put them on a plate. I knew which one was what. And I said, taste test them for me. Didn't even tell her what it was. Yeah. She preferred the ring neck over the wood duck. And I huh. was like, I said, there's no way. I said, stop. <laughs> I took a bite. I swear to you, I thought the same thing, that the ring neck tasted better than the wood duck. Really? And they were cooked the same way. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it was the diet. Maybe that ring neck just so happened mm-hmm. to be eating, eating just subaquatic vegetation. He was just, you know, uh, which I mean, that's mostly what they eat, anyways. You know, right. but I don't know what that wood duck was eating. 
That's interesting. I, I did a taste test with my kids one time with coot and green wing teal. And uh, both my boys liked the green wing teal better, but it wasn't like, oh, this is disgusting. This is just, it was like, hmm, yeah, I think I, I like this one better. You know, so it wasn't like a landslide or anything. Right. Right. And it I tasted is. them. I taste them too. And it's like, it's fine. You know, I think for the most part, like foul meat is pretty much just standard foul meat. It's just red meat. Yeah, it's just red meat. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's I like how it. I feel, man. We eat a lot of it here, you know. Me and my yeah. wife both, and we eat a lot of it. You know, we both love red meat, so. Yeah, well, that see, my wife will cook it. She won't eat it, but she'll cook it. She doesn't like the smell um, that, yeah. you know, when you're handling the, the meat itself, it's got that duck smell to it. She doesn't like yeah. that duck smell, although she'll cook it. And I think if if you took away the smell from her, and in fact, when we went down and stayed at Cypress Crossing where Joel Strickland was the chef at, he made duck and he made it like a professional chef and she ate that and loved it. So I think a lot of it is back to the perception thing. She's seeing this meat and she's, you know, grown up with grocery store products or her family never had wild meat. So that perception just kind of overwhelms you and, and affects how you think about it. percent. Right. Yeah, but that again, too. that, that Gadwell, we had just salt and pepper on a grill, zero gamey taste. Zero. So I, th- I think Gadwells get a bad a bad rap. I really do. I think they're a wonderful little duck. Now, I would much rather shoot Mallard Drakes. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I like shooting Mallard Drakes better than anything on the planet as far as waterfowl. To me, that's just the deal. Just it's Mallard, it's Mallard Drakes. But I'll, I will happily shoot Gadwall. Now, there are days in which I won't shoot Gadwall. If I think I can shoot a limit full of what I'm really seeking is like five mounted drakes and a pintail drake. That's kind of, that's the ultimate, but you give Pintail's me a chance. Delicious. Pintail's yeah. a good taste of duck. Yeah. I just always, I don't know. I just never even think about what I'm eating. I put my, I put my ducks in, I, I try to eat them as fresh as I can, but once they get frozen, I don't even mark the bag. So normally when I'm eating, eating duck, I don't even really know what I'm eating. I'm just, oh, it's duck. You know. Yeah, you hunt divers at all up there? Um, if they come through, we don't have huntable populations. If if I could shoot, see, it's funny you said that about bluebill because we don't get bluebill very often here, and we get we get ring. If we're gonna shoot a, uh, a diver, chances are it's gonna be a ringneck. If it's not a ringneck, it's probably gonna be a redhead. After that, then you'll get some buffleheads. Later, you'll get golden eye. But I might, I might shoot one scop every six or seven years. I just don't shoot them. So when I shoot one, it's very special to shoot. Oh, really? Just just because they're not around. Um, so, like but it's funny because ring neck and scop, you know, look basically identical. I shoot a right. ring neck. I'm like, oh, whatever. I shoot a scop, and I'm all excited. <laughs> yeah, we get uh, in the salt marsh down here. We get a lot of the graders. Mm. Yeah, How do you tell the difference it. between them? The the bill is is, is bigger. That's why a okay. lot of them have the nickname Broadbill. Ah, you know, you hear Bluebill and Broadbill. Right. right uh, the right, Broadbill right. is the, uh, the the greater. That's more of like a, I guess, a sea duck or whatever. But yeah, we get them down on the coast. Uh, you know, we get the lessers too. But but the only place where I've seen consistently, you know, the 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 graders is, is down by the coast in the salt marsh. Yeah, we we just don't have the opportunity, even on the reservoirs. I, you just very rarely hear or see a huntable group of um, of divers. Now later in the season, Goldeneye, but I'm just not. I'm not interested in targeting Goldeneye. I'm just not. Right. I, I right. I'm they're just they're too hard to clean for one. I hate cleaning them. They're just so hard to clean, and 
I'm just not that excited about them. But I've if, never shot one. Yeah, well, they're a pretty little duck. But if if I could shoot redhead, Scott, and obviously canvas back, then I would I would target them at times. Yeah, canvas backs are are, are fine, man. I, I haven't right. had I haven't had an issue with eating a canvas back. I think it tastes really good. It, it's not like it's not like shooting them. It's not like a mallard, you know. It's not like a right. like a teal, but mm-hmm. it's. It's good. It's a solid tasting duck and, and it cleans pretty easy. It's yeah. A good duck. So I want to get into, um, and I, I want to get into the canvas back stuff, but let's hold off on that. Cause I, I watched uh, just an amazing video where you're of, of yours, where you're hunting canvas back and you were doing the taking turns thing. And I'd never ever even seen on video that big of, I don't think I'd ever watched a video that's like canvas back hunting. Yeah. And it was just like huge wave, a huge flock after huge flock. It just had to be incredible. But before we get to that, talk a little bit about um, like when you decided to start filming and start getting into the into the YouTube thing. And the first time that I heard of you was Jordan was watching your channel, and I was still on the Duck on podcast, and he said, "Hey, this channel is pretty cool. Um, let's have this guy Nate on." And that's I hadn't senior channel hadn't watched it and everything seems like you're still going strong what was at what point did you decide to start that and and how have you been able how long you've been going and how have you been able to stay consistent because the one thing i see from people that want to start like youtube channels that we have is being able to like get past everyone else everyone can start it it's right. like following through after the newness is gone and all the shinies off of it. You know, are you still going to be dedicated to do it? Yeah. Well, I guess I'll start from the beginning. I, I had a short stint with a, with a, a hunting show that was on uh on, on a sportsman channel. It was called Spartan Outdoors. Worked with them for a little while. Did a couple of, of, of hunts on film and, I was not cut out for film at the time at all. I was nervous. They put the camera in my face. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> it just was not for me. But but at the same time, you know, I grew up watching all of these hunting videos with my grandpa growing up. And I always said, man, I'd love to have my own hunting show. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that's that's kind of, you know, the beginning of it for me and, and just kind of got a little taste of the industry. And I'll be honest, I did not like the way that the normal hunting industry is run. There's some things about it I, I don't necessarily like. I don't want to be a, a, a billboard for a bunch of different companies and, and all of this mm-hmm. sort of things. Not really my model. Um, and then, you know, I, I found myself watching a lot of YouTube, you know, as the years progressed and, and a lot of you guys like, like yourself and, and like, uh, like Jordan and, and Josh with Outdoor Limits. You know, I, I, uh, I found myself just always on YouTube watching y'all, y'all channels. And mm-hmm. I was like, man, I was like, this is number one. It was relatable to me. Mm-hmm. It was something I felt like, like this, this is kind of the way that we hunt, you know, and it wasn't like the, the barrel burner hunts where you have, you know, thousands of geese coming in on you. And one time that I really necessarily couldn't relate to, I don't hunt like that. I don't, I don't even have property to even uh, begin to do something like that. I, I've always grinded it out on public land for the most part. That's what you guys are doing. And so, you know, to be perfectly honest, I mean, you were part of the inspiration, you know, from, from my channel being started. Cause I said to myself, I was like, man, if I could just you know, bring a, my phone with me or a camera and, mm-hmm. and a GoPro on my head, I was like, I could start my own channel and I could have my own hunting show and I could do it my way. And nobody could tell me what I can and can't say and do. And I said, uh, I, I want to do it my own way. And I stopped. Now what year my, was this? What, what year this, was this? I think this was 2019. It was right before okay. COVID. 
I, uh, I started my channel. Um, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to film, you know, like, like Louisiana lifestyle type stuff, right. you know, mm-hmm. whether, whether that was going out, you know, catching, uh, you know, fish or, or doing some, some catching some seafood in a roadside ditch or something and just stuff I normally would do, you know, because this is the type of things we grew up doing down here in Southeast Louisiana. I, I didn't want to be the guy that, that, that made videos uh, just to try to find good content. I wanted to video what I already do. Right. And so I, that's, I, that was like the basis of my channel. I said, yeah. if I can, if I can keep doing this, then this thing can really last. Like, like your life look. doesn't change. You just hit and record a bunch. That's all I say. Like, I'm it. not making videos. I'm just hitting record a ton of times. <laughs> and I already, I had a TikTok account that I was growing, uh-huh. uh, you know, posting consistently on TikTok and, 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 uh, people were liking the lifestyle stuff. And I said, well, I'm going to kind of incorporate that into the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I told my friends what I wanted to do and they were like, yeah, let's, you know, I'll help you out as much as I can. And, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, they have, you know, I've, I've had, I've been blessed to have, you know, good friends that help out as much as they can. And that's took a little bit of the burden off of me. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's not, I don't feel like, um, I'm getting in the way of anybody because these guys are bought into and that helps because I right. think a lot of times what you mentioned guys get out of it because they feel like telling their buddy, Hey, Hey, hang on a second. Let me grab the camera. Mm-hmm. Is, they don't want to have to do that. And right. I get it. But when you, when you have friends that, that want to help that, that kind of stuff is, is easier. Mm-hmm. But also I'm the type of person where when I start something, I, I can't stop. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I, when I go in, I go in a thousand percent. I can't stop. And, and so yeah. I think part of that is just a personality trait that some mm-hmm. people just don't, don't have quite frankly. And you have to have it, you know, if you, if you're going to do something like a YouTube channel and you really want to grow it and you're serious about growing it, then guess what? You're going to have to make a lot of sacrifices. You're going to have yeah. to spend a lot of nights up late editing videos uh, to get them out as quickly as possible. And uh, look, you're going to have to miss out on a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's not easy. Believe me, it is not easy. Right. People don't realize that I have people contact me and they're like, they want advice. And the only advice I give is start recording and don't stop. You start recording your hunts, you start editing it and just don't stop. Just keep doing it. And eventually like with me, I can't imagine not filming when I hunt because I get home and the first thing I want to do is I want to start looking at video and I get to relive that whole thing. It's a whole other aspect of my hunting that has nothing to do with, making video and other people watching it. I selfishly want to re-see it on different angles and relive it. And I can't wait to get home and watch that. I would never want to stop. I think I would do it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Now I wouldn't maybe do every single hunt, but like if I couldn't post anything on YouTube and couldn't show it in, I would still film a huge portion of what I'm doing just for myself. When I started, it was just for myself. I, I told my dad, I was like, Hey, I'm not remembering enough of our hunts from like 15 years ago. I've got no little notes about them. It's like some of these hunts I can't even remember at all. I was like, I'm just going to start a little video journal. So down the road, we can start remembering this stuff. And next thing you know, yeah. yeah. And, and you said something that was key to me. It's like, I am not a YouTuber that has found a way to has found content. I'm a waterfowl hunter that records and you could rip the, all the cameras and throw them in the trash. Nothing about my life is going to change. Absolutely. It's I 100% exactly agree with, I 100% agree with you there. I, the, the things that you see me doing on camera, 
was what we were doing before the cameras. Right. It's what we'll do after the cameras. Yeah. And uh, what you said just now, like remembering the hunts, that was a that was a large part of it for me too. Like mm-hmm. me and my, my good buddy Gary that I hunt with a lot, especially on the canvas back videos, mm-hmm. he laughs at me because he remembers every hunt. I don't. I have yeah. the most awful memory. Like there, there was a hunt just recently where he was talking to me and saying like, hey, man, you remember when when our, our buddy Blade shot this banded widget? And I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> He's like, you were there with us. He's like, how do you not remember a banded widget? I'm like, I- I'm sorry. I just don't. And this wasn't like four or five years ago that this hunt apparently happened that I, I don't remember being a part of. But now that I have, you know, the videos, it's like I can go yeah. back and relive these hunts. And look, I think it's I think it's twofold. So like, yeah, you know how whenever, like, you know, I don't know if, if you're, uh, well, I don't know if your dad or your grandpa or whatever was a hunter growing up. My dad, yeah. Your dad was, yeah. So No, you know well, not growing hunt. up, not growing up, but when I was growing up. But he didn't start until he was in college when my mom's dad got him into it. Yeah, but the, he had hunting stories to tell you. When you were oh, growing yeah. up, right? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine if your dad was able to just say, "Hey, hey I don't have to tell you my hunting stories," and he and just press play. Yeah. Here, here are my <laughs> hunting stories. Yeah. So a part, I think a part of that is really good, but I think that it's also, like I said, it's it's kind of twofold. So, I think a lot of the the hunting stories that people tell us, there's like a sense of mystery and magic that you're going to lose by having it on video. Yes. I, and so it's kind of like, I don't know that I would want to tell my hunting stories by just saying press play. I still would like, I still like telling hunting stories because it leaves that sense of mystery and wonder where people kind of fill in the gaps of the story with their own imagination, you know? Yeah. And let me add on to that because this is actually a, int- and I'm really curious what your opinion is on this. So, when you're filming all your hunts and you get, so I'm nine years down the road from when I started filming. I've got the last, almost every hunt for nine years I've got on video. So for me to go to a hunt where I didn't film, I got to go back 10 years. So what happens is the hunts where you don't film, you have mental pictures of everything. When you're videoing them, you no longer have mental pictures. You have mental pictures of video. You don't have the organic memory stuck in there it's replaced by video so on all these hunts i've had for the last nine years none of my memories of them are just organic mental pictures and i think that's a trade-off i'm not sure that's always a good trade-off because like i think of the hunts 15 20 years ago there's a huge difference between remembering your in your mind's eye and when you see a video clips in your mind's eye, and I don't think that I think that that downgrades the m- memory a little bit. Now you get way more memory of the entire hunt, but it's like uh, a synthetic memory in a way. Does that make sense? I, I, I would agree with that. It's like that these old memories come with like a sense of nostalgia. Yeah, they're almost in black and white. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, and I can go back to some of these times where. It, okay, when when you video, it's like you never really lost the moment. Yeah. But I think, like you said, it kind of makes the moment less valuable. Yes. 
Yeah, I guess that's and because you're grabbing your camera. Anytime you see something real cool, I don't know about you, I go for my camera. And so now I'm witnessing it through through an eyepiece. And that is a huge downgrade. Instead of just being in awe and wonder of the moment, it's like, how can I how can I video this? And it never translate to the to the actual event. It never fully translates. If something's a 10 out of 10 as far as emotion and feeling and visual on camera, it's like a four. I mean, it really, and you're viewing it through that little, through that little lens. If you're using like a big camera instead of a, a, a head mount and, and I'm trying actually at times to just like not do that because that is a huge sacrifice that people don't think about. Another thing too, is when you have that GoPro on your head, you, you are seeing it with your eyes and you're seeing it with both eyes and you're able to soak it all in. But when you go back and you go through the editing process, that memory then burns in your head with the GoPro image. Yes. Yes. That's what you 100%. were talking about. You yeah. don't remember the because because the video is never going to be as good as what you experienced in real life. Never. Never. Right. Yeah, and it's it's a huge trade-off for sure. But I I we all we both ultimately think it's any is a net positive or we wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Just because like I I want to leave something behind, you know, whenever I'm gone one day and yeah. I want my kids to be able to, you know, see what we've done and and to be yeah. able to sit around, sometimes like me and my my guys to this day, we'll, we'll hang around, drink beer, and we'll put Falling Tide TV on the, on the television, yeah. uh-huh. and we'll just watch the videos. Yeah. And we're just like, man, you remember that? Oh, dude, look, I can't believe you whiffed on that duck. Like, we'll be, we'll be laughing, <laughs> yeah. you know, right. just reliving it, you know, and it's, it's it's great. Yeah, my buddy Aiden will come over. He's been a big part of it ever since season two, and we'll and we'll just be like, all right, your turn to pick. Uh huh. What do you want to watch? And we'll just take turns picking what we want to see with the most memorable stuff. And yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. So, so we met this summer when I was down with Kenny and man, that trip was a trip of a lifetime for, for myself being a Kansas boy. Um, your area. I don't even, I can't even I try to put it to words and I can't, it's such a foreign, foreign culture and a foreign atmosphere and environment that I I can't even put it to words. There's so many swamps and so many trees. It feels like a, a maze down there. And then you tuck in like the way everyone talks and the obvious different, just cultural side of things and the alligators. It's just, I don't think I would want to live there because ultimately Kansas is soft. It's hills. Now around where I live, we've got quite a few trees. I'm on the Eastern deciduous forest. So you won't actually experience the prairies here where I'm at. But it's still, it's everything soft and it feels soft. Nothing out there is going to kill you. You know, there, I've only seen a couple rattlesnakes in my whole life. It's just a soft environment. And your neck of the woods, I would, that's the last thing. And I would call it as a soft, <laughs> soft environment. Everything's trying to kill each other over there. <laughs> yeah. We're just wild and, and, and there's tons of people, but it just feels expansive, you know? It is, yeah. It's, it's it's a lot of open marsh and water. It's I'm sure it's the biggest marsh area you've ever seen. Oh, it yeah. It goes on forever, and everything yeah. looks the same. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I I really loved it down there. I loved the people down there, and it was it was great that we were um, that we got a chance to meet, and and you came down. And, and how so how was us. it? I wanted to, I wanted to know how uh, how did that feel when you got in that boat. And you and you went out into the salt marsh and you just saw the flatness of it. Um, it was spectacular. I mean, I've I've been around, I haven't been around oceans a lot, but I have enough that an ocean is is always awe inspiring to me. But I've never been in a 
marsh type of area like that at all. So uh, it was it was just fantastic. I mean, you just all the time just for me in a in a sense of awe over everything, over the space, over seeing dolphins, over every aspect of it. Seeing big oil rigs to me was like being on the moon. It's like, what kind of weird environment? I mean, all that stuff just put me into a different feel that I've like every, every area has its own feel, its own spirit kind of in a way, you know, you know how, whatever how it feels, you, you know, how, whenever you're a kid and like you go to a, uh, you know, you go to someone else's area, you go to some different area or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you get that feeling of just like, oh my gosh, like this is new. This is something I've never seen right. before. And you get that newness feeling of like soaking yeah. it all in. Mm-hmm. I always find that when I go somewhere in a new environment, that's how it feels. It brings me back to being a child yeah. again. Right. Where everything, everything, you, so where everything you're taking in is just learning. It's like a learning experience. Yeah. Visually. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love that trip. I hope that we can do it again. Uh, it was a a trip of a lifetime. We caught so many fish and we had such good food and Kenny and Donna and Tyler are such awesome people that it just, man, I just can't say enough about it. I just can't that was, say enough that about it. That was fun. There. I mean, even the, even the short time I spent with y'all, it was a lot of fun. I mean, they, right. they seem like great people. I, you know, I only met Tyler like one other time and talked to him a couple of times. Mm-hmm. But uh, I never met his his his, his, his uh, I guess that was his mom and dad or his dad yeah. stepmom something something stepdad yeah, right. something whatever yeah. it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were good people though. They were awesome. Yeah. They fed us. They fed us. I mean, we 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 sat around and talked and, yeah. and hung out. It was a good time. What meal did we have when you were there? I don't we had the trout. Okay, we had the, the trout. The trout. It was so good. He, every meal was just crazy, and he made a deer that was it was a big buck, and I've never had. I've never had meat like that before. I'm telling you, it was better than anything I've ever had. He blessed was that some the, kind of cream was, cheese mixed into it or something. I don't know, but it was. Yeah, I think I think insane. we had some of that too while I was there. I think it was in the fridge. I want to say they, they pulled it out. It we must have had that the day so. before. Yeah, well, it was like a uh, it was like a tenderloin or something, right? Right, stuffed tenderloin. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it was delicious. It was. It, it was, was tender, insane. tender. It was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is deer. <laughs> <laughs> he can cook, yeah. man. Yeah, Kenny he can. He's an he's an interesting guy. He's yep. an interesting dude. And Tyler just he might as well just been our personal guide. Like the first day of fishing, all he did was like I felt like I was a three year old out fishing. <laughs> it's like he's running and doing everything. It's like okay, I have fished before. I haven't fished down here, you know. I have fished before. I can you know tie a knot, and, but he was just being so just like a guy just going out of his way. And it, it seems like maybe that now Kansas people are really kind and really nice. Don't get me wrong. And anyone that comes in this area just raves at how nice and kind everyone is. But it seems like in Louisiana, people have a national, a natural kinmanship towards each other because of where they live. Um, and, and people generally speaking, seem to be extremely kind down there. Yeah. I would say for the most part, we have this uh, sense of family, like if, yes. if you're here, if you're here with us, you're part of the family. You yes. Know? And if one thing for sure is they go to feed you. Yeah. 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 See, that's, <laughs> we don't have that here. I, I try, I, I try to put my finger on what the culture is here. It's like, now I live in the Kansas City Metro area. So kind of exclude that. I grew up in central Kansas um, in the, it wasn't really in the farm community, but in you get Kansas, it's farmers. It's just good old down to earth people, but I, I kind of struggle to put my finger on like, what is the culture where it's, down it's in Louisiana? It's just obvious. 
It's just obvious yeah. that it's cold. I've been to Kansas a couple of times. I would say it's very blue collar. Right, for sure. You know, yeah. very much uh you can tell they got some, you know, hard working men. And uh, you know, they'll they'll it just seems like that it's the kind of thing where like, you know, if you're the neighboring farmer, I'm looking out for you, you're looking out for me. Right. Type of a thing. But it but it was where we were at was El Laredo. Okay. That's where I was at, which is mm-hmm. just open, just Central, vast yeah. farmland. I mean, that's not too far from open. where I grew up. Yeah. Or no, no, El Dorado, that's southern. Okay, that's around Wichita. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's kind of on the skirts of the Flint Hills. That's a beautiful area. Yeah. I went there twice. Beautiful place. Yes. Some great hunts. It is. Some great hunts out there. Were you were duck hunting in there? A duck hunting, goose hunting. Yeah. Okay. Fields or the lake down there? Fields, rivers, and uh, and cattle pod. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not sure how this hunt is going to play out when you're so you so from the time we're recording this, we've got about two weeks exactly until you will be. What time will you be getting up here on that? You're coming Thursday evening, and yeah, you're making I'm, the trip I'm all in one day. Early, I'm probably yeah, I'm probably going to leave at like two in the morning and just drive. And as soon right. as I can get up there, I'll get up there. It's you and a friend, right? Just me. Unless oh, you just you. To, I thought, if you, I thought you were if you a want me to, if you want me to bring a friend, I might be able to find one. But no, 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 no. I thought, I thought that you said you were. No, no just come I, yourself. Yeah, I'll probably just come up here myself. Not too many people are going to be off in the middle of the week like that. So, mm-hmm. well, yeah, we're so in my particular area, we're really hurting on water. Um, and the be- September and October, I hunt in the central part of the state out in the plains. Cause that's what's open. That's, that's where the best teal hunting is. And then as season opens up around my home location, it's more, um, there's a lot more trees, a lot more, not like, not like Arkansas that you would think, but, uh, pools that are ringed with trees and, and going up and down rivers that are full of trees and, and everything like that. But we're, we, we're really hurting for water right now. So I've got to do some serious scouting next weekend. I've got Friday off cause it's veterans day. And there's some areas that have gotten some really significant rain that I don't normally hunt. I'm going to have to do a bunch of scouting because I want to be, I want to do my best to make sure we at least shoot enough birds that we feel like it was fun. Cause I, I don't need to shoot tons of birds, but what I don't want is sitting there and being like, Oh, we saw three ducks today. You know, I, those types of hunts, I don't have much patience for. I just don't, yeah. I want to shoot something. So well, I'm work takes, pretty hard. if it takes the pressure off, dude, I don't, I don't care what we, you know, I don't care. I'm just coming well, up there to hang out and hope we have a good hunt. If we don't, yeah. it's okay. I'm yeah. not going to be upset. <laughs> well, I certainly want to have some good hunts. So I'm going to work my hardest to see if I can put us on some birds and that, and if that means at some point, you know, doing a two, two and a half hour drive in the morning to get someplace. And that's just what we'll, that's what we'll have to do. But I'm fine with whatever. Now, now me saying that I don't care if we don't shoot any ducks that also understand that, Nothing is off the table. I would do whatever it takes. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're loaded up with birds right now. I'll tell you that. We're we're not mallards, uh, but we are loaded up with birds right now. We've had a good push this week with this front. It was 32 degrees at my house this morning. Wow. Now, how often does it get that cold? Uh, it it, it gets 32 a few times a year. About, okay. I don't know, five or six times a year probably. <laughs> it's October. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's this is rare for us to get something that cold this early, you know. Uh-huh. Right. But uh, you know, in, in December and January, we'll get a few days. 
that get yeah. out to freezing tips. Last year, we shoot, I hunted one day, it was 21 degrees. Mm-hmm. Everything was frozen. Yeah. yeah. That's rare. We don't get that. That's what it was for us this past weekend. So we hit, I mean, that front, we could go up to the Missouri River up there probably 50 more years and not have the weather hit that perfect for us. So we were going up there a little earlier than what's what's perfect timing. And I was a little worried about it. And that front hit like Thursday and we got there Friday and hunted Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And man, I was hoping for more mallards, like I said, but I mean, there was plenty of ducks and that weather just hit absolutely perfect and just spread ducks all down through Nebraska, Kansas, because there's more ducks in Kansas now than there normally is at this time. And you can have really good hunts at this time in Kansas. Don't get me wrong, but that, I mean, that front was just, we got three inches of snow up there when we were hunting on Saturday and the tons of snow down in Nebraska. And I mean, it's not even, it's not even, not even Halloween when that happened. So it was really unusual, but unfortunately when those things do happen, normally you'll go through like three weeks of stale because it pop that weather pops back up and then you need another monster. So we will probably be caught in that. I'm looking at the, at the weather. It's um, going to be, I think like high thirties, low fifties, which I love that range. So I think we, I think we can find some, but we'll just have to work for it for a little bit. Early in the season, early in the season for us, the fronts matter a lot more, Mm -hmm. you know, like this time of year, the fronts really bring the birds as the season goes on. I find that South winds do better for us. Yeah. So weird. (laughs) That's true for us starting. um, Like after when, once you start getting freezes, so late, yeah. mid, late December, once everything locks up from that point on, now we want freeze and then south wind thaw. When you get that south wind thaw, that's when that's probably yeah. when you'll see the most birds in Kansas. It's, it's, it's not really thaw. it's not really thaw for us. What it is is we have an issue with nocturnal ducks uh-huh. that uh, they, they sit on the Gulf of Mexico during the day and then at night they come inland to feed. Yeah. Well. If the if the wind picks up coming out of the south, the, the birds can't sit on the Gulf of Mexico. It's too rough. Mm, so wow. they come inland. They come inland. So you, you yeah. get some good hunts. So two more things I want to talk to you about before we close this out is number one, when I was down there and we were hanging out, I never realized the significance of the name of your YouTube channel, which is Falling Tide TV. And and we didn't get to talk about this quite as much as I wanted to um, when we were hanging out in person. So you said the reason that, well, just to explain how significant the falling tide is and why you named your channel that. Cause I had no, that was total news to me. I had no idea that that was a thing. So I find that good things happen on a falling tide. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, whether it's fishing, whether it's duck hunting, whatever it is, a falling tide always does very well for us. Um, my best duck hunts have been on a falling tide. You know, when you, when you're hunting a, a pond that, uh, you know, it has water and then, and then tide starts falling out. If you're hunting in that pond that holds water, whenever everything else kind of drops out, the birds are coming to you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, also when it comes to fishing, a lot of times the fish, especially the redfish will back up into the marsh way <laughs> up shallow. And when that tide starts falling really fast, what happens is those, those redfish will stage and wait for the bait fish to come out of the marsh. And uh, it just makes for really good fishing. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, I don't know if you could picture this in your head, but if you're if you're trolling along a bayou, 
and there's a bunch of little inlets and outlets, you know, coming in and out of the ponds. If you're a redfish and you're staging and you're waiting for bait fish to come out of one of those cuts, you're going to be facing the cut in the bayou. Mm -hmm. And if you throw into that little cut, that little channel there, and you run your bait backwards, that redfish is standing there waiting for your bait. Yeah. So it, it all good things happen on a falling tide down here. Mm-hmm. So that's why I named my channel Falling Tide. Yeah. Tides are not anything I've ever thought about <laughs> other than, oh, the moon affects the tides. <laughs> it, it certainly does. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, I mean, I don't think you can be farther from an ocean. Than- <laughs> Look, I, did, I wanted to have a, an original YouTube name. I didn't want to be like Duck Busters. <laughs> you know, kill them outdoors. Duck killing boys. You know, I don't know something stupid. I don't know, man. I'm not. I'm not a fan of uh, a lot of these names these guys come up with. I said, yeah. man, you couldn't think of anything better. Look, I had, I had a lot of different names, you know, that I was sorting through. And uh, when I got to Falling Tide TV, I said, I think this is the one. And I and I sent a list of like five different channel names that like yeah. just potential names that I, I was going to go with. I sent it out to a couple of my friends and uh, the vast majority of, of them said falling tide TV. So I was yeah. like, yeah, I think we're all on the same page here. Yeah. It's a good name. I, I didn't even put any thought into mine. So I, I used to love watching like DU TV. Like this would have been 2007, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, that range. I loved watching, um, duck hunting shows and a lot of them were even at that time even i think the grind was going at that time were like guided hunts and even like du would do guided hunts and i don't care to watch guided hunts you in fact like a guided hunt in a crop field you will get me to watch that zero times i'm not going to watch guides putting you on birds in a man-made ag field i mean i just i'm not gonna watch it every now and then when do you know do you even know who wade Bourne was no Wade Bourne was a, a host for DUTV for quite a while. And I just loved, he was just something about the way he talked about hunting. And I just loved him. I thought he was great. And when he started as the host, like two, three times a year, they would go on a public land hunt. And he would always say, we're out on a freelance duck hunt. And I had never heard that term before. And whenever they did it, I would watch those shows like over and over again. And I would like, that's what we do. That's what we do. That's what I want to see. It's a freelance duck hunt. And so when I started the channel, I was like, hey, that makes sense. Freelance duck hunting. Like, we're out there just just doing it. But it all came from Wade Bourne and DUTV. That's awesome. Yeah. I know yeah. I, one thing you might notice about my logo is that it is a mallard. Which right. is, I love that. Which I like is, that logo. Which is, it's funny. You would, you would think I wouldn't have a, a mallard as my logo, being that we hardly shoot any, but <laughs> it really is just a reminder of what the state is supposed to be in what it yeah. used to be. Right. And I dream of the days where my logo makes sense for hunting. <laughs> I still hold on to the hope that one day we'll start getting them again. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say this year is different. Something is going on this year. I'm not quite sure what it is, but for the first time in the marshes over here by my house, first time I've ever seen this speckle belly geese. Hmm. Ton, tons of them over here in the marshes. Also, uh, a lot of the people who have crops up the flyway from me are saying that the birds are flying over their crops. They're continuing south instead of stopping. 
Uh, I've also heard it through Grapevine that a lot of the farmers up the flyway, especially like Mississippi, they're they're tilling their crops. They're not leaving the stubble. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know if it's something to do with the drought or what, or maybe they lost their crops. So maybe they're just going ahead and tilling it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're but they're not leaving the stubble, and the birds aren't stopping. They're they're continuing south. So uh, we've also seen early pushes like we've never seen before. Mm. October we've had pushes. Uh, I mean, all the way back in September, we've seen uh, pintail numbers like we've never seen. Nice. So something's a little bit different this year. The deck has definitely been shuffled, and so who knows? I don't know what we're. I don't know what to expect this year, but I'm I'm, I'm thinking it's probably going to be a good year. Yeah, I hope so. It'll be interesting to see what happens. And I mean, um, farming is getting a lot more efficient. And I mean, I, I can't imagine in I don't know how many years at some point, once they harvest, there's not going to be any leftover corn or whatever laying around. They're going to they're going to get every single kernel. And I wonder what's going to happen when these old ag fields, there's just not food in it. Because they're just yeah, going to get more and more efficient. So we will I, see. We, I like to think that the birds will find something to eat, you know, uh, in the area. Yeah. You know, I, I don't necessarily think they're going to just all come south because they can't, you know, find anything to eat up there. I, I just think that they're going to be very concentrated to different areas. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't, I don't know that we'll see a huge difference, but I just want to see, I want to see some difference from the last few years. So even like last year was had some really cold snaps and that that didn't positively affect it for you guys with as it, far it, as the it, mallards. It did. It, it well, I mean, we saw a few. Yeah, I, I will say the Southwest Louisiana got more mallards than they have in the last ten years last year. Right, because we've been in a warm cycle as far as winters go for quite a while. I mean, it's yeah. been. It's been all of eight, nine years that, I mean, you hear about, oh, people aren't ice fishing up north, and and that's not global warming. That's just cyclical. I mean, it's just how it is, how it's been. I think in the last, like, eight, nine years, we've maybe had two colder winters, and the rest have just been warm. One one of the biggest problems for South Louisiana is we don't have the rice production we used to have. Mm -hmm. Uh, Southwest Louisiana, even South Central, and even some in Southeast Louisiana had rice. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's back in 30 years ago, 40 years ago, there was a ton of rice here, but we just don't have the rice production anymore. And yeah. so we don't have the crops to keep them. You know, yeah. S- Southwest Louisiana has some rice and uh, the people who had it, they saw the mallards. When the cold came, the mallards showed. And it's like right. a reminder of what used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was just funny that we didn't get them in Southeast Louisiana. We, we didn't see much of a jump here in Southeast Louisiana. We saw yeah. a few more mallards, but not a lot more. Uh, we did see a really good push of uh, gadwall, widgeon, pintails, uh, that 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 sort of thing in front of that hard cold front that we had. We had, we had one that brought us down at the to the uh, lower twenties, mm-hmm. and uh, we saw a good push in front of that. Like I remember uh, that Thursday, like the, the real hard cold front was coming that Friday and Saturday, but that Thursday, when the winds were actually still blowing out of the south. Uh, we saw a huge push of birds. And I know a mm. lot of people that, that saw more ducks than they've seen the last 10 years in front of that hard, cold front. But quickly, after that front pushed through, the birds either kept pushing south, which I don't see how they could push any further south, or they just went stale. I don't know what happened, yeah. but the birds were nowhere to be found. 
What time of year was that? Was that January? That was that was uh, in, I think it was January. Yeah. See, I would assume they would just go back north because in Jan- January in Kansas, it's a constant north south. They ride the ice line. So, but the ice line out- was down here. The ice line was all the way right. down. But you I would know, just we- assume as soon as the south wind there, it was still blowing out of the north, and I couldn't. And they were just well, gone. I mean, I, unless they went all the way down, like all yeah. the way down into the Gulf, and we're just sitting out there. I, I don't, I don't know, but I know in the marshes around us, they they kind of disappeared. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. There's certainly times that they do that, where they show up and you expect them to be around for a bunch of days and just, yeah. They go, why did they leave? That's really it's frustrating when that happens. I don't know where they went. I, I know Southwest Louisiana was just absolutely murdering them, so maybe that's where they went. Maybe they mm-hmm. went west. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about your canvas backs. How long have you had? Now, the video I saw was surely you're not having tents like that all the time. It was massive, massive flocks of canvas back bombing out of the skies, just flying all over the place. How how long have you traditionally had canvas back hunts like that? I would say for the past 10 years or so, we've wintered a, uh, Especially in January, a large number of canvasbacks in the lake over over there mm-hmm. where I, where I'm at video and um, there's a huge loaf that always seems to gather up there and uh, they have some some private land and public land that borders that lake and uh, you know certain days they come on the private land, some days they go on the public land, but one thing's constant they're always in that lake. Yeah. And uh, it depends on how you want to hunt them. You know, if you want to take the chance and sit on the, the private land, I mean, the public land, uh, and hope they come to you, which, look, they want to be on that public land. They don't want to mm-hmm. go on the private land. They'd rather be on the public. Just Why some days, some day, it's just more feed. Yeah. And more for them to eat. It's just mm-hmm. they don't really like to get shot at too much. But it's amazing how tolerant them freaking canvasbacks are, man. Huh. Yeah, dude, I, you would think that the first time they get shot at, they're not coming back. But every day they seem to keep coming back to that 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 private land. I mean that public land for the most part. But at some point they start to use that 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 private land because uh, mm-hmm. they start to get tired of it. But if you go out in that lake, you can kill them in the lake. You just how much pressure them. do they get out there other than your group? Uh, there's there's usually a few other hunters out there. Mm-hmm. It's just that look, a lot of the locals they don't want to go set up and shoot two ducks. Yeah. You know, because it's just, if they say it's just cans, they're not targeting the canvas backs a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I like it. Well, and the way I you like guys them. do it, it's a long experience because you sit back and watch and you trade in and out. And, and trading in and out, I've done some of that uh, just because we couldn't get hidden. And it's ridiculously fun. You're just hanging out with your buddies 200 yards away, watching. It's it's fun. It's really fun. I love it. Like I said, it turns into like a spectator sport, mm-hmm. you know, where you're just watching the game. And, yeah. and, and, and look, you know, like I said, I've, I'm really, I don't want to, I, I have to stress this enough. I am so blessed with the group of guys that I have mm-hmm. that are willing to be selfless and willing to, you know, just watch other people and have fun. Right. Uh, it's something I don't think you see enough of in the waterfowl world. Right. And, uh, I think it's a beautiful thing. I don't take it for granted. Uh, I know what we have and it's a beautiful thing. I, I love sitting back and just watching my guys you know, uh, shoot their canvas backs and swap out. And mm-hmm. it's so much fun to me. It really is. And there's yeah. no stress. You you said you can't imagine that we, we kill them like that all the time, but 
look, usually come January, they show up thick, and it's like that every day. Just the yeah, groups were like 30 to 40 birds a lot of times. But you got to understand the size of the loaf that's out there in that lake. Yeah. It is just, I don't know what, what 10,000 canvasbacks look like, but it's got to be close. You know, it's something like that. I mean, it's a, it's a, a, a huge amount of ducks that sit out there in that lake. Do you do any calling for them at all? No. So they just see the decoys, and they circle a little bit, right? I I think I remember seeing some groups actually circling a little bit. Yeah, they circle a little bit. They they Mm -hmm. they have to. I mean, it's a huge group. They got to take some time to to get set up. Mm -hmm. And uh, but look, we're learning. We're 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 learning some stuff too. We've uh, you know we we've made our mistakes. Uh, I remember the hunt on the last day of the season. We tried to get like twelve people to come out and do that. Yeah, we 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 tried to do like this huge canvas back smash. Uh-huh. It it didn't work because of the way we set up. So the way a diver's mind works is they want to jump to the front of the line. Okay. They if, if there's a group of ducks and they're all kind of feeding in one direction, they want to jump all the way to the front. They want to be the first group to get to the feed. They're not going to land in the back of the flock like a like mm-hmm. a like a like a mallard or a pintail will land on the backside of your decoys. Right. Divers will land in your lap a lot of times. Well, we set up on the last day kind of in a cove instead of instead of way out in the middle of the open water. And we piled up like 400 decoys in this cove. <laughs> and what happened is these huge flocks were wanting it. They wanted it bad. They, they'd make a circle and they would come over and realize there's no more room for us to land because yeah. we had our, our decoys piled up all the way back in that cove. Yeah. And they refused to set up. They would just they lift. couldn't land on the front end of it. They couldn't land on the front end of it. Yeah. And so they would just they would just lift and go right back into the lake. Do you have that on video? I do, but I didn't keep the video. I, I didn't how many how many canvas bag videos do you have? Oh, I've got quite a few, probably six, seven. You need eight, to play you like need to put those on a playlist. I probably should have. Yeah, I gotta go search those out because the one I watched was fascinating. I've shot three canvas back in my life, and if we see them, it's like we see a canvas back. Yeah. You see well, look, one canvas back. If anytime you want to come, I would say just wait till January. You know, just yeah. just come out here. I mean, it's it's as much of a guarantee as I can give you is that the cans will be there and we will kill them. You know. Yeah. Uh, At some point, I would definitely like to to do that because canvas backs. Like if I could shoot any duck right now, it'd be a black duck, just because I've never shot one. And after that, it'd be canvas back drakes. Well, like you know, fifteen years ago, we didn't get the canvas backs like that. So hmm. I would say that as soon as you can get over here and get over here, because that may come a day where that will all change. Yeah. But I'm expecting this year might be a little bit different because with the drought, the Mississippi River was so low that that salt water actually backed all the way up into our marshes. And hmm. we have a we have like no grass in our marshes, our marshes this year because hmm. of the salt water intr- intrusion. Yeah. Um dude, the Mississippi River was 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 like like emerald green and clear their teal season. <laughs> you could see 10 foot down in the Mississippi river, which is <laughs> wow. usually, usually if you put your hand under the water, you couldn't see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, t- man, it like you could catch Jack Cravels and up in the Mississippi river, huh. the red snapper were, were at the long rocks that are, that are in the Mississippi river, like where it spills out into the Gulf. You can catch a red yeah. snapper right there. It's that that's never a thing. You usually so gotta go. Why is it so clear out. this year? What what's the change? The salt water. You have ocean water backing up into the but why? Because there's just no melt water coming from it. There's no water coming from anywhere. Because of the drought. Because of the drought. 
Okay. So the Mississippi River was flowing backwards at one point. <laughs> yeah, he had Gulf water coming up the river. Yeah. New Orleans, New Orleans was in fear of not even being able to have drinking water because yeah. they didn't have the filtration system to filter out salt. They ended up installing uh-huh. it over there and spending the money Ooh. and just doing it. But, but like right, th- right there down the river, uh, like the little towns that are way down the river, they, they had to boil, they had like a, a boil. They had to like boil the water or something or like not use it or just use like bottled water. Like yeah. A ban on like tap water because of that. That's crazy. I know I'm done with this drought. I am done with this drought. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm I think everybody is. Look, you know, and part of it I think is gonna is gonna help us because we have we have natural water here. But mm-hmm. the prop the problem is is that like like the areas that usually have thick, good subaquatic vegetation, mm-hmm. it's just non-existent down here anymore. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know how that's gonna affect the ducks. But my guess is if they don't have anything to eat, they're going somewhere else. Yeah, you know, they'll find food somewhere. They're they will good find at finding food. food. They will find it. Yeah. Well, I think that about about wraps it up. I will have you, if you'd like to, come back on here after your trip up to Kansas, and we can do a little post hunt, kind of what your expectations were. And I love when people come to the area and hunt, just like their perceptions of the area and their thoughts. And so let's have you back on in a few weeks after that. Yeah, um, we, shoot, we didn't maybe, have we, we didn't have much here. time to. We didn't have much time to talk about, like, you know, my expectations, but I just wanted to tell you that I, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I miss Kansas. It's been some years since I've been over there, so I'm excited to get out there. So let's do it. I'm curious to hear your expectations. Go ahead. I'm, 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 if, if you want to tell me that, I'd love to hear what your expectations are. Well, the funny are. thing is, is I don't really know that I have much expectations other than <laughs> the, 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 the idea of seeing new terrain and, right. uh, you know, getting to hunt alongside of you. And uh, I think that we share a lot of the same philosophies. As much as it's so different down here, yeah. I think that our philosophies, uh, I think that my philosophies will apply over there. Um, yeah. You know, I consider myself uh, to be a, a very much like a, a chill hunter, I guess is what yeah. you call that. I don't, I don't get all you know bent out of shape over a whole lot. I enjoy uh, waterfowl hunting to the core, yeah. uh, and 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 you know, I'm not. Uh, you're not going to see me get extremely excited about this, or I'm not going to get down about that. I just I'm kind of an even killed kind of a guy. I don't really get frustrated out there too much. I, I. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I I really think that watching I've watched a lot of your videos. I don't think you've watched a lot of mine, but I have over the years watched a lot of your videos. And like I said, I think that we share a lot of the same philosophies. And I think that uh, I think it'll be fun. Well, great. Well, I appreciate you watching the videos. And yeah, just hanging out with you down there at Louisiana, I can tell we're going to have a good time. And and uh, oh, you were going to cook up here, weren't you? You said you were going to oh, make yeah. some gumbo. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to talk about that. Yeah, so. I, I I need to know, do any of the stores around you sell rotisserie chickens? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So we need to get one of those. We'll get some. I'll bring a couple of ingredients up with me because I'm not okay. sure if they're going to have it, uh, you know, up there. But we're going to make a good gumbo. I Look, every, anytime I make a gumbo with duck in it, I still make a chicken and sausage gumbo. Yeah. Uh, because I love the flavor of the chicken. I love the flavor of the sausage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the duck is just kind of in there. Yeah. It, it adds some flavor and some depth to it. Mm-hmm. But to me, like 
it has to have the chicken and the sausage in it for it to be really good. Well, my wife but, will be happy to hear that. It'll be good. It'll be good. Yeah, she could pick the duck out. She just, she just take the the chicken and the sausage. Yeah, yeah. Well, if there's it's any ingredients good. you know you're gonna need, let me know, and we'll have those ready to roll. Yeah. The only thing I need is is the 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 holy trinity. You know the uh, the celery, the bell pepper, the onions, and right, uh, yeah. gar and garlic. Of course, the pope. They call that the pope. The we garlic. can do that. What do you make that in? You, I, my imagine is like some big cauldron pot. We don't have. I'm gonna I'm bring my pot up here. I'm uh. gonna bring my pot. I got I got a, a big magnolite pot, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get uh, eight containers of of chicken stock, and uh, and we'll get a couple of rotisserie chickens. Awesome. We'll put a few ducks in there. If we have them, hopefully we kill, we kill some ducks. That way we can put some in the gumbo. If not, I'll we'll have, have to I'll have some out. Meat. I'll have some meat. Yeah, I'll have some. So you're you're showing up Thursday evening. We're gonna hunt Friday. We're gonna hunt Saturday, and then you're out on Sunday. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go home on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. This is such a long drive. I wish I, I could know. make a morning hunt on Sunday, but I just I don't think Too I'll far. be able to make it home. Yeah, no. it takes so everything you can do. It's like what 13, 14 hour drive or something. It's something about like that, that. Yeah. yeah. It, no telling what kind of traffic you're gonna gonna run into, you know. So, mm, yeah, I want to make sure I'm, I'm leaving early enough. Yeah. So. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to have you up here and hunt together, and and um, yeah, I'm really, really, really looking forward to it. So, thank you for being on here with me tonight, guys. If you want, make sure to get on YouTube, Falling Tide TV. It's not just a, a waterfowl hunting show. He's got, in fact, gosh, I wanted to talk about your alligator stuff, but I guess we'll just have to do that at a different time. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to watch that video yet. It's been on my mark like I've got to see that. Great thumbnail, by the way. A little alligator hunt you went on, right? Yep. So check out his uh, YouTube channel. Um, I imagine you're on, also on Instagram as well, Falling Tide TV on there. So, Well, thanks for joining me. You have any, any parting words before we get out of here? No, man. I just wanted to say thank you. That's all. All right. Until next time, you've listened to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast.